you're here. This is our second to last episode in the season, season eight, all things Austin. And today we've got a mashup, two final stories, one episode. Today we're discussing Northanger Abbey and Sanditon, or what I like to refer to as Saucy Austin. <laughs> we'll get back to that in just a few. I hadn't originally planned to smush these two together, but when I sat down to ponder both of the stories, I found that there were quite a few similarities. Two young women who I actually really like as female protagonists from the country who leave home with relative strangers and are thrust into society and find themselves quickly in love with someone of a higher station. This leaving home with relative strangers fascinates me about Austin. Just fascinating. But let's start with Northanger Abbey since it was actually a completed novel. We'll move into that weirdness of just traveling with people you don't really know. And then we'll hit Sanditon in a little bit. If you remember, Northanger Abbey was published just after the author's death. We mentioned that in the Persuasion episode. And according to the Jane Austen Society of North America, for one last time, in a note left by her sister Cassandra, Jane wrote the book when she was about 23 years old. And it's likely that she found inspiration for the story during her first visit to Bath in 1797. She had originally titled the novel Susan, but it was later changed to Northanger Abbey during publication, which is kind of an interesting story, which we're going to share here. (laughs) After she finished writing the book, her brother's lawyer, a guy named William Seymour, sold the manuscript to a publishing company for £10 in 1803, with the understanding that it would soon be published. Well, years go by. And the book wasn't released. So Jane herself writes the publishing house under a pseudonym, one, reminding them about the original offer, two, offering to send them a new copy in case they'd lost the previous one, and three, threatening to apply elsewhere to have it published. They didn't take too kindly to that, denied that they ever offered to publish it quickly, and then returned the threat by claiming they would take steps to stop the sale of the manuscript if she were to visit a different publishing house. They did then offer to sell it back to her for that same £10 amount. Jane didn't take them up on the offer. It's kind of doubtful that she had the £10 to spare um, to, you know, get the book back. But then in 1816, you know, that year rolls around and Jane does have the funds and is set to reclaim the rights. But her brother Henry steps in and does it on her behalf. So they buy back the rights to Northanger Abbey. So it's back in her possession. She does some additional edits, including changing the heroine's name from Susan to Catherine. She would, of course, then die before seeing it published. As for its place in pop culture, it's barely there. There was a 1987 production, which I haven't seen, full disclosure, and a 2007 production that was my entry into this particular tale. After watching the show, I then read the book and have enjoyed both. Of course, again, it was through Masterpiece Theater. That is how I see all of my BBC productions through the Masterpiece Theater on PBS. The 2007 production was written by Andrew Davies and starred Felicity Jones as Catherine Moreland and J.J. Field as Henry Tilney. Before we get too far into a breakdown of their performances, a quick summary of Northanger Abbey. It's a parody of sorts of a gothic novel. So you have Catherine Moreland, a young woman of 17. She's the daughter of a country clergyman. As she enters womanhood, she leaves her tomboy ways behind and kind of embraces this romantic heroine and training persona, finding inspiration and imagination in 
the gothic novels that she loves to read. Big reader. She's invited by the Allens, the Moreland's wealthy neighbors, to spend the season with them in Bath. Again, okay. I have never had a wealthy neighbor come up to me and say, hey, do you want to spend several months with me in the city? Just leave your home. It's cool. And just come and I'll pay for everything. I've just, I've never had that happen. That, this fascinates me. So at her first social outing in Bath, she meets a young gentleman named Henry Tilney and the daughter of one of Mrs. Allen's old school friends, a young woman named Isabella Thorpe. She doesn't meet them at the same time, but during that evening, she meets them. Isabella is also an avid reader of sweeping Gothic novels. Um, and so the two become friends. And it's discovered that Isabella's brother, John, is actually a friend of Catherine's older brother, James. So there's another connection there. Isabella and John Thorpe end up being a bit like Mary and Henry Crawford in, a, in Mansfield Park, a sibling pair with an agenda. They immediately take a disliking to the Tilneys. There's Henry and his sister, Eleanor, thinking that Henry will be competition in winning Catherine's heart. And they get it in their head that not only will Isabella marry James, Catherine's brother again, but Catherine herself will marry John, who she has zero interest in. He's kind of crass and rude and loud. And uh, the guy who plays, I don't know his name, but the guy who plays that role, John Thorpe, in the 2007 production, plays it well because you just... You really don't like him. <laughs> they are Isabella and John. They're constantly trying to sabotage Catherine's relationship with the Tilneys. The gold digger Isabella actually at one point gets the proposal she was hoping for. James does propose. And James's father, being very generous and giving what he could, approves of the match and then offers his son a country parson's living of 400 pounds a year, which is decidedly much smaller than Isabella had been assuming they would receive. For some reason, they think that the rich neighbors, the Allens, would be offering up money along with the Morelands. So she's she pretends that, you know, oh, all I want to do is marry James, but we can't get married yet because he's only getting 400 a pound. Spoiler, she ends up having a torrid affair with Frederick Tilney, Eleanor and Henry's older Lothario brother, who's just awful. Speeding things up a bit, the Tilneys invite Catherine to their home, Northanger Abbey, for a few weeks, and it's kind of this ex exotic and frightening place, just like the novel she's always reading. And while she's there, her imagination kind of runs away from her, and she comes to believe that General Tin Tin Tilney, <laughs> Henry and Eleanor's father, murdered his wife, their mother. That, of course, wasn't the case, despite that he, being the worst husband ever, he wasn't a good guy. And in the middle of the night, he actually sends her away from Northanger Abbey. No chaperone, no money, just kind of shoves her on a carriage. Actually, Eleanor gives her enough money to get home, not because of her active imagination, but because she doesn't end up being as rich as he thought either. He thought too that the Allens would be giving money. Hey, this is a good pair for my son, Henry. She's not rich though. And so they are looking for somebody rich and He's like, you're, well, you're not good enough and sends her home. So she begrudgingly leaves Henry and Eleanor. She thinks she does not know that about the money. She just kind of thinks that um, it was because of her imagination and how she had confessed to Henry that she thought, you know, hey, did your father kill your mother, which is a weird conversation to have. But Henry eventually comes to Moreland, the Moreland Country Cottage, um, and apologizes to Catherine for what happened between her and her father, his father, and he eventually proposes and they get married. It's very sweet. 
Felicity Jones was about 24 years old when Northanger Abbey came out, and she does a stellar job of playing this naive, unassuming young woman who is clearly out of her league when it comes to the social scene in Bath. Pair that with the dashing J.J. Field as Henry Tilney. We're going to see him again in our final episode of the season. He's charming, he's funny, he's humble. And then his sister, Eleanor, who's played by Catherine Walker, she is as beautiful as she is kind. Um, and they just kind of have this perfect posse of protagonists. That rhymed, uh, which I really like. I really like those three together, the conversations that they have. You see this relationship building between the three of them, which I really like. But then there's Carrie Mulligan, who plays Isabella Thorpe. Mulligan has made a name for herself in Hollywood, playing these really complicated, strong female characters. Thorpe is no different. She knows what she wants. She goes after it, and you hate her for it the entire time. The entire time. She, of course, plays Kitty in the uh, Pride and Prejudice movie that came out with Kira Knightley. So why is this one saucy? It's not that the other Austen novels aren't saucy. Jane Austen definitely has a sexy side with young women getting into trouble in almost every book. Mariah in Mansfield Park, Lydia in Pride and Prejudice, Colonel Brandon's Ward in Sense and Sensibility. She's not afraid of her characters having sex, but sadly it's kind of to show the consequences of making that choice since marriage is an economic decision and women who choose a toward affair are choosing a life of being an outcast. A lot of them become spinsters because who's going to want them want them now they've been shunned from society. In this particular movie, so I'm talking specifically about the pop culture mo movie version, they choose to show the aftermath of the affair. Isabella in bed wrapped up in a sheet with, with Frederick getting dressed kind of saucy. It, it was a little startling to see that see it go that far. Overall, I'm a fan of Northanger Abbey being a book lover. It's really hard not to adore Catherine, a young woman who kind of gets swept away in her own imagination, especially as she reads these dark and romantic gothic novels. And there is something very sweet and kind and wonderful about Henry Tilney. Um, he sees something special in, in uh, Catherine, the age difference. Again, probably a little icky, <laughs> but at least she's 17, I guess. That's something. A quick break, though, between novels to talk about Andrew Davies, since he was involved in both projects, Northanger Abbey and Sanditon. Davies was born in Wales and received a Bachelor of Arts in English from the University College in London. His first television show was something called Who's Gonna Take Me On? I don't <laughs> I didn't investigate more. Maybe I should have. And was broadcast in 1967. He continued to create material for TV and the stage. He had some stuff on Broadway through the 80s. And then in the 90s and early 2000s is where he started creating adaptations of classic literature that kind of brought him the bulk of his fame. He wrote the 95 Pride and Prejudice series with Colin Firth and Jennifer Ellie, and the 2008 Sense and Sensibility we talked about last time, BBC production. He also collaborated on the screenplays for the first two Bridget Jones films, Brideshead Revisited, the horrible adaptation of The Three Musketeers that came out in 2011, which of course I've seen because I think I've seen all the adaptations of The Three Musketeers, and would eventually work on Mr. Self Selfridge, also on Masterpiece Theatre. BBC. I also just found out that he wrote Circle of Friends. I almost talked about this one in my list of favorites, a movie I love based on the Maeve Binchie book starring Chris O'Donnell, Minnie Driver, and Colin Firth set in Ireland about um, this 
young woman who has kind of low self-esteem. She's a little overweight. She lives in a small town. Um, and she wants to kind of get away from her small town and go to the big city, go to Dublin and go to school, which she does, but she's forced to ride the bus home every day to stay with her parents uh, because they just don't know how they'll live without her. It is a very sweet movie. I really like it. Cute love story. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you want to talk about it, give me a call. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, so he has, this Andrew Davies has a pretty interesting career. In 2019, he started working on Sanditon, an adaptation of an unfinished novel by Austin that she started writing the year she died, 1817. She had completed about 11 chapters and originally titled the novel The Brothers, which makes a lot of sense to me. Sanditon does too, but I kind of like The Brothers. Full disclosure, I haven't read the completed chapters, but I became quite obsessed with the miniseries, which is what we're going to talk about. And I know that they do differ quite a bit. There's a lot of the same characters, of course, um, but their interactions kind of shift, especially since you don't know how the story was going to end. It was an unfinished novel. So they have kind of in the series gone back and created relationships that I'm not sure were actually in the book. So this is also about a young woman from the country, big family. Um, and she is out with her siblings when she comes upon a carriage that has broken down. And her and her, her siblings go and they um, find a Mr. Parker, Mr. Tom Parker and his wife, Mary, kind of in distress. So they help them out. They get them back to their home. Tom has an injured leg. So they end up staying there a couple of weeks while Tom gets healed and the carriage gets fixed. And they are on their way to Sanditon, this kind of up and coming seaside town. This is Tom Parker's passion project. And he has this business partner named Lady Denham, this widower who, widow who has a lot of money. And <laughs> she likes to tell people she has a lot of money. Um, and so they are trying to build the seaside res resort together. Um, and so then you have, and they have offered, the Parkers have offered to take um, Charlotte Haywood, who is the eldest of the daughters, to Sanditon with them as a thank you, and they think she'll really like it. So this young woman is leaving her home with perfect strangers. She's only known them for two weeks to go live in their home with them on their dime. I fascinating, I tell you, fascinating. I need to find me some rich neighbors, apparently. Um, so she, it's you. The whole story, for the most part, is her seeing Sanditon through through a kind of young eyes, sweet eyes. She's naive, um, much like Catherine Moreland. She's not particularly um, refined when it comes to in society. She says a few things that are a little awkward at times and um, kind of makes a bad first impression with Sidney Parker, who is Tom Parker's brother. Um, so th there's several Parkers. There's even more in the book, apparently, than on the show. But we have Arthur Parker, who seems to be the youngest brother. He's kind of a hypochondriac. He has a, they have a sister. I can't remember her first name, but we'll call her Miss Parker. Um, she lives with Arthur. They're both hypochondriacs. It's kind of a weird relationship, um, codependent. And then there's Sydney and Tom. And so the rest of the Parkers, they're kind of coming along next to Tom. Okay. <laughs> kind of placating him, to be honest, um, as he is building this town. So you see, Kath, uh, not Catherine, Charlotte, Charlotte Haywood, walk around town, make the architects. She's very intelligent. Um, she's very sweet. She befriends um, 
Sydney Parker has a ward, Miss Lamb, who is an heiress from the West Indies. Her her family, her pa- father has died and has left her a lot of money. And so until she turns 18, she's under the care of Sydney. So she, Charlotte befriends her. There's Clara, who is um, kind of under the protection of Lady Denham. She's a very poor, distant relative of Lady Denham. Um, and she's there and Clara is... Wor- kind of wanting Lady Denham's money. (laughs) And then there's also this um, Sir Edward and his stepsister, which is really creepy because it's incestuous, even though they're not blood related. (sighs) Incest. Um, So they are also trying to get Lady Denham's money. So everybody's trying to get Lady Denham's money, including Tom Parker. Charlotte is just kind of enjoying her time away from home and enjoying Sanditon and meeting new people. And then she ends up falling for Sidney Parker, who is not a nice guy to begin with. Uh, but by the end of season one, they have, you know, they have fallen in love. It does not end well. Spoiler. He then is forced to marry a rich woman to pay off Tom's debts. Oh, broke my heart. It broke my heart because I loved Sydney and Charlotte together by the end. Um, And then they have, so Andrew Davies, nothing happened after season one. We thought it was going to be canceled. Then Bridgerton came out. Thank you, Bridgerton. Because of the appeal of Bridgerton and um, that Regency era appeal, uh, the fans came out in full force, kind of petitioned for a season two. So we get a season two and a season three, and then the series will be over. Um. Again, what else is happening? This is all just, you know, made up at this point because it's not a point part of the original 11 chapters. That wasn't a great summary, uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. Why is this one saucy? Well, because there is a scene of Clara and Edward, two people trying to get Lady Denham's money, who are um, seen together in a very intimate situation in the outside, um, kind of in the woods. Charlotte stumbles upon them. And so she then, Charlotte becomes a threat to them because if she tells Lady Denham, their chances of getting the money are kind of gone. Um, And then you have just the relationship between Charlotte and Sydney, this back and forth bickering, you get a scene. Okay, so let's go back to the BBC Pride and Prejudice uh, miniseries, Colin Firth. The big thing about Colin Firth is he has come from town. He's back on his estate, Pemberley Estate. He jumps into a pond, comes out. He's got a white shirt on that's just sticking to him. It's every Austin lover's female or male, I mean, you know, to each their own dream. Mr. Darcy and a wet, wet and white shirt. Well, they have gone further in this one, and there's just a naked Sidney Parker swimming in the ocean, and he comes out of the water naked. <laughs> so it's very soft. Like, they've, they've taken some liberties with it. They've made it a little steamier. There's several scenes with um, Edward's uh, stepsister, who he's kind of having an incestuous affair with. There's a scene between the two of them. There's a lady later a scene with her and her husband, Lord Babington. Um, so there's just a lot of romantic, sexy scenes in this, which makes it a lot of fun, especially if because of, of um, Bridgerton, but it's worth watching. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. And again, if you would like to become a part of my text circle, when these episodes air, you are welcome to do so. Just let me know and I can I can put you into the tech circle. So we have full conversations about what we were watching in real time. It's a good time. 
it's kind of sad. I really wish we would know, but we don't. Where she was taking this story, it seems very sophisticated. I, I really like the idea of this um, passionate, ambitious man who has big dreams and he's not afraid to go after him. Tom Parker will kind of drive you crazy, but at the same time, you admire him a little bit because he's not willing to just step away from his dreams. You have Charlotte Haywood who uh, stands, learns how to stand up for herself. She'll speak her mind and she'll be honest when necessary. Um, she does have poise and compassion for people. And so you really like her just like you really like Catherine Moreland. Um, Sidney Parker is mostly just pretty. He's really cantankerous and kind of grouchy, but Catherine, not Catherine, I keep saying that, Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte brings out the best in him. Him. Uh, so a lot of familiar faces too. It is a pure British production where you start to see familiar faces everywhere and um, faces that are new and that I have started to see in other things, which is really exciting as well. I'd love to see when that happens. Sadly, Sydney does not make it to season two. Again, it will break your heart. Uh, it, he is played by Theo James, who is beautiful. You might know him from the Divergent series. He's been in quite a bit, actually. A lot of really speculative science fiction, which is kind of interesting. But he was in the HBO uh, adaptation of The Time Traveler's Wife. And so I think he was filming that instead, of, and he didn't want to be in, in the second season. I don't know. It's just a shame. There was also this other very handsome man <laughs> in uh, in the town in Sanditon. He's an architect. He kind of befriends Charlotte, and he seems to have fallen for her as well. So there's a little bit of a love tri love triangle. His name is Stringer, uh, and so when we knew things weren't going to work out for Sydney. And Charlotte, we really hoped Stringer would get his chance, but then he didn't show up in season two either. So we got all new love interests for Charlotte in season two. And I just, I don't know what's going to happen in season three, the finale. I'm interested. Hopefully this year we get that or early next year. Very excited. Oh, but I think that's it for today. <laughs> I, I was rambly. I'm sorry. But thank you so much for listening. Really, it's so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about, well, they can join in on the fun as well. We have one episode left in season eight, All Things Austin. We are going to be talking about Austin Land, which is... Jane Austen adjacent. If you're not familiar with it, it's a book by Shannon Hale, and they have made a movie adaptation of it about a young woman who is obsessed with Pride and Prejudice and Mr. Darcy, and she's feeling stuck in life. So she decides to spend her life savings to go to England and go to basically a Jane Austen amusement park where you step back in time to the Regency era. And she realizes it is not all it's cracked up to be. So we are going to talk about that on Tuesday of next week to close out the season. And then I'll be back in October. Going to take a few weeks off. I'm actually going to be on vacation next week. So very excited about that. Um, and season nine is all about horror movies. I hate horror movies. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I'm doing it. And hopefully it'll be amusing for you uh, just to hear my distress through it all. A big thank you to podcast listener Eric Holbrook for helping me pick out. He is a horror movie aficionado. He is an expert in the horror genre and he picked out some movies for him. I gave him a few guidelines and then I actually went online this past week too and you can vote for the last movie that's going to be in the list. I I get very scared very easy. I will have to watch all of these movies during daylight which is tricky. Um, so 
I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing it. I have not been to a movie theater to watch a scary movie in a very long time. In fact, I think the last scary movie I watched was The Quiet Place, the first one, and I had to watch it at like 11 o'clock in the morning with all my lights on. And then I got so upset that people outside were talking and things needed to be quiet that I was almost in tears. So it's going to be a good time. You're going to get to hear my reactions and experience my fear. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we'll find out. Thank you again for listening. Um, if You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @gnomegirlm and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I'll see you next time. Thank you.